Eat up with tax, don't know what to do The Bryson's are here for you We know every tip and trick A serious tax talk with a Louisiana twist Hello, good to see you again. Welcome back to the second installment of Talkin' Tax. I'm your host, Ryan Ruff, and I'll be bringing Carrie and Angie Bryson, really the stars of our show, on here in just a few moments. But few housekeeping items for you, our listeners. You know, we thank you for coming back here, joining us for the second episode. If you had a chance to catch the first one, we really uh, spent a lot of time introducing you to Carrie and Angie Bryson, the co-founders of Bryson Law Firm, LLC, serving the greater Louisiana area. Tax law, it's not an easy topic. It's one a lot of us like to avoid in many cases. And it's really fitting that we're gathering here today to record our, our, uh, our episode on tax day itself. You know, We've got a lot of great topics to jump into today, specifically, you know, a lot of the options for tax resolution that the Bryson Law Firm handles. So we've got a lot of stuff to cover today, a lot of good information that's going to be coming from Carrie and Angie. So we're excited to bring them on and get right into it. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's bring on Carrie and Angie. Angie, Carrie, great to see you guys. Welcome aboard. Excited to get going here today. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Ron. How are you doing here? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. So I know we spent a lot of time in our first episode really getting a lot of your backstory, learning about you guys, you know, your upbringings, your time together at LSU Law, uh, you know, getting married, going your separate ways in terms of uh, different law practices, but then kind of finding your way back together to start what is uh, become Bryson Law Firm. It's an awesome story. You guys have a ton of different experience from a variety of different areas in terms of law, um, only bringing that to the benefit of your clients today. So we want to kind of spend today's episode, I know, spending some time talking about the different options that are available for tax resolution, uh, specifically that your firm offers. And I think a great spot to start with that would be the appeals process. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you have a legal right, you know, to appeal any taxes, penalties, interests that the IRS uh, may say you owe. And, you know, in these instances, given that you have that legal right to appeal that, you want to have somebody in your court, somebody that's going to be there to stand with you, stand by you, and make sure that, you know, you're not paying more than you owe, uh, or, or you're not just standing alone in that fight. So let's start with appeals, guys. Would you like to kind of explain a little bit of the work that you guys do in this space specifically? Sure. Um, there are so many facets for appeals when the in the IRS world. Uh, you know, you can appeal um, pretty much any decision the IRS makes, uh, even if it's uh, not necessarily something that relates to the collection of a tax. So for example, if you want to file an appeal to ask for the abatement of penalties, that is certainly an option. Uh, usually we pretty much appeal almost every penalty abatement request because they pretty much always get denied. Um, so this that's sort of a second layer towards resolution, I find. So if we propose an installment agreement or a payment plan, which is something we'll talk about, I'm sure, next, uh, and we don't like that result, there's an appeal. Um, if you propose a settlement and you don't like the result, there's an appeal. Um, you can appeal pretty much every every um, resolution proposal that, that adversely results in, in something you don't like. Uh, that's sort of the, the skinny. Uh, it, it's secondary towards resolution, I find. Yeah. The only thing I would add, uh, just from the, from the legal perspective, uh, everything is appealable. But there's certain time frames that you have to do certain actions within to to preserve the right. Yeah. And a lot of times, we you know, the, the system is kind of, you know, quote, set up to be 
handled almost by yourself, but they don't tell you about your appeal rights. They don't tell you things about that. That has to be done timely. So a lot of times, you know, people will miss out on on certain appeal rights because they don't file a certain paper timely or do this timely or set the case up, uh, you know, in a way that they can appeal. They, they can appeal it. Uh, some of the actions, you know, can actually even be appealed. You know, the first layer of appeals is always to the IRS. Administrative. So you get an IRS uh, officer, you know, hearing the appeal. So but if you do the case properly and in certain issues, you can actually then go from that. Uh, to uh, to a court, either the tax court or federal court, depending on 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 you know the the issue. Uh, so you're able to get in front of a judge, mm-hmm. who then can uh, you know, and then uh, hopefully a neutral uh, arbiter of the decision. So then you can get in favor. But you got to do things timely from the beginning, and yeah, that's that, the that tricky. Lines. That's the tricky part. Yeah, well, the, so- uh, yeah. I was going to say it sounds like it because in many of these instances, you know, you're you feel like uh, as the individual, you're stepping into this situation maybe without somebody in your court to be giving you that guidance, giving you that knowledge that hey, we we've got options, but we've got to act. And sometimes people want to drag their feet and they want to think about these things in depth before making what could be a bigger decision. So that's why it's a, a really nice to have a, a team like yourselves to be able to to lean on for that appeal process. And sorry, Angie, I didn't mean to cut you off. You're going to add to that. No, uh, I mean, I will add that the higher level IRS employees sit at the appeals level typically. So uh, when you when you start out in a case and, and you're trying to get a more complex result, or um, you have a good argument to make, it's it's always nice to have that that higher level employee who's more seasoned and they have more discretion. Um, that's where we get a lot of our best results. And and I would add that the big one that I think um, is the collection due process appeal. We 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 get a lot of clients come to us at the eleventh hour because they have been a little they they're either scared or don't know what to do. Um, and they come in with that last notice that says, mm-hmm. I'm about mm-hmm. to take your, your money out of your bank account or uh, garnish your wages. Um, you, and that's the appeal notice. And so a lot of times we will, we can stop collections and intervene, kind of get in front of, of the, in front of the clients, protect them, um, by, by filing that appeal. There are some things that you have to consider before you do it. And so it, it is a little bit, uh, complex, but that's the deadline I think Carrie's talking about particularly. Sure. Yeah, sure. sure. That, yeah, it's good to know because at the end of the day, you want to have somebody in your court making sure that you're not missing some of those key dates for yeah, sure. Getting it done is important. Yeah. Right, right. Well, kind of switching gears a little bit. I mean, this is really fitting today, guys, that we're sitting down on tax day, having some of these discussions. Uh, the next next service or, or option that I wanted to move into was just the topic of bank levies. And this typically is found more in extreme cases of non-payment of taxes that the IRS can impose, uh, you know, a levy on a given bank account. You know, and usually this is some of the more harsh, from what I understand, form of tax collection. And when it, this happens, it can be relatively devastating stating to that individual given the levy on on an individual's bank account. So would you talk a little bit about what this process looks like and also uh, your work in the space and how you've maybe uh, maybe an example of helping somebody through this process? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll start with that one just on the kind of dr- to tie it into the appeals process. So 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 what what the the uh, the taxpayers would need to understand is that the IRS is required to give notice before they issue a bank levy. Okay, but that notice is is a one-time notice, and it doesn't have to be uh, within a certain time frame of the levy. So what usually happens is they issue the notice fairly early on in the process, 
And then three or four years later, uh, they could issue the levy and it's and that notice is still proper. So if you forget that, that's it's it's back to the timeliness. You got to know the notices, understand what the notice is telling you and that you're subject to the levy. But once they issue the notice uh, after the uh, after the appeal delays have run, you're subject to a levy at any time. And 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 um, so, so so with levies, there, there's basically two types of levies. There's a one time levy and a continuing levy. Bank levies are one time levies. Uh, meaning they're going to issue the levy, but uh, and then so whatever is in your bank account at that time, up to the amount of the levy, up to the amount of taxes you owe and, and the penalties and interest, is basically frozen. Mm-hmm. But if the money is not taken out, and it's 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 not withdrawn at that time and sent to the IRS, it's actually frozen for 21 days, and that 21 days is to give the taxpayer time. To uh, to try to get the levy withdrawn or try to resolve the case, uh, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of people when they get the bank levy, then they decide to call the law firm, and then you know, so we're working on their 21 day window to right. you know, and, and there's a lot of things we can do. I mean, Angie's done some miraculous stuff with with getting you know some of these levies off in the 21 day period. Um, you know, some that I didn't think anybody could get off, and we're able to get off because if you can prove certain things, hardships, and da, 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 you know, a lot of list of a long laundry list of reasons why um, you can get the levy released or at least get a partial release enough to maybe make payroll or enough to pay your rent or enough to do this. And, and you know, so there's things you can do if you if you just react and, and do. And and often, I mean, sometimes, you know, one way to get the levy off is just to solve the case, just to get into a, a, a program or to get into one of the op, one of the many options that we could talk about today. We may we may talk about some of them, you know. Um, so if you if you do get a plan and you get something worked out, you can get your levy off or you could at least lose part of the levy to maybe help fund part of your plan that you're going to have mm. to do. So so there's a lot you could do even once you get a bank levy. But unfortunately, you know, that is when the IRS is in control. When they have the levy, they got the thumb on you. They're calling the shots. And from a legal perspective, you know, we don't like to we don't like to lose control of the case. Mm-hmm. We try to keep control of the case. Uh, and that's what we're going to do as we're representing the clients. We're going to maintain control as long as we can and keep it in where we have some leverage. And the, uh, once a bank levy is issued, the leverage, of course, is obviously switched. Not that the case is over. There's nothing you can do. It's just it is a little bit tougher situation. Sure, sure. Angie, sure. Angie may know more about that than. Oh no! Yeah, no, you're. I, I totally agree. I mean, the, the leveling the playing field is is important, uh, and that's always our our objective. So, I mean, we had a client last week, uh, who had a bank levy on a, on a bank account. And this is a short story. I'll give you the skinny, but a long story. Um, but he was this, this particular businessman had an employee embezzle hundreds of thousands of dollars from his, his business. And, uh, so he ended up with a big payroll, pretty large payroll tax problem. So we're solving that for him. Um, and the bank levies went down, uh, and, but he happened to have um, a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank account because he got a payment from the uh, the person who stole the money from him, which mm-hmm. is very unusual, by the way. Uh, so we were able to walk the IRS, a uh, particular revenue officer, through, you know, where the money had wh- that it was the payment from the 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 thief essentially, and <clears throat> excuse me that he needed it for payroll, uh, and mm-hmm. so she she was able to release most of it actually now that I think about it. So, um, yeah. 
Gotcha. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds like a, a process that you, uh, you certainly don't want to find yourself in, but if you do, again, you want to have somebody in your court to be able to help you walk and navigate this process, you know, especially in an instance like that, where the IRS, like Carrie said, has their thumb on you. They're the one kind of assuming control in this instance with the bank levy. So the next, the next kind of realm I wanted to shift to is, is one that I would imagine is probably a bigger topic for you guys. And that's audit representation. Uh, you know, I, I see the language thrown around on, on even your website or just, you know, the internet as a whole of calling, you know, that, uh, that note from the IRS, their love letter, if you will, uh, never a fun note to get. Um, so, you know, being audited is a don't, I mean, just the word audit is scary. It's daunting. It's, uh, you want to make sure you're buttoned up. You've got your ducks in a row and that everything is going to be ship shape if they go through the process of, of actually auditing you. So when that comes and a client of yours gets that love letter, uh, what's that conversation like with them? And, and, you know, how do you walk them through representation during that auditing process? Uh, well, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I, the, the, the first part of the conversation, of course, is how buttoned up are you? You know, what do your books look like? What, you know, um, they, you know, as an attorney, we got, we have the attorney client privilege and we could talk about that. And that's some of the issues, you know, is with accountants and CPAs, there's not necessarily a privilege. Uh, so they can't, you know, they got to be careful how we do this, but, uh, you know, in the more drastic cases, you know, we actually have to get in and maybe, uh, the way I usually handle an audit, I'll just say that, is I usually get their books and audit it myself. So I know the issues and I sort of prepare. So then I know the where the where the weak spots are and where the strong spots are. I, I know the case. And then we we meet for the audit and you know and we're able to develop the strategy to go here and there. Um but but yeah, I mean audit rep, you know, fortunately the IRS is is understaffed and not able to audit everyone. Uh, but what people don't realize too about the audits, uh, you know, most of the audits are, all of the audits actually are generated initially by the computer. You know, when you file a return and you do something, that that's automatically run through the computer system, and the computer is the algorithm there is running and it's doing it. And then and then what? So so the trick is, if there is a trick, is not to get flagged by the computer because once you get flagged <laughs> by the computer, right. you get kicked out. Humans looking at it, and once the human looks at it, it's looking at everything, and then that's when the problems start. So, uh, so on the front end is really the way to, de to the best defense of an audit is on the front end of making sure your return is able to fly through the computer without being flagged, uh, and that's that's the beauty of. It. But when it does get flagged, you know there is yes, there's things you can do, and and a lot of times you know it does it gets flagged, but there are there are reasons and there are excuses and there are you know, reasons why that is the way it is. And it is, it is legitimate. You just have to prove it. The burden of proof is on the taxpayer though. It's not on the IRS, uh, which, you know, that it, it's, it's a pretty heavy burden because you've got to prove why, you know, your return is what it is and have the backup documentation. And you can't just, you know, they, they're not going to take your, your, your on face value. You do have to have right. the documents to support it. And that's, you know, a lot of times that's what happens is you don't have the documents mm -hmm. or, or frankly, you don't want the documents, so you don't have the documents. 
whatever, you know, so it's, it's, you get in one of those situations, but sure. Yeah. It sounds like it's, it is one of those situations where you hope that if it does happen to you, you do have your ducks in a row and that, and that you have the documentations to back it up. I, I mean, uh, I've always, uh, maybe this is just a, a blessing for my parents and teaching me the ways of finances, but make sure you got a paper trail on almost everything you do. Just follow it up. So that way, if, if, you know, the IRS or anybody comes knocking, you at least have documentation to show them where funds are coming from, how they're being spent, so on and so forth. So appreciate, yeah, appreciate you shedding some light there on, on the audit representation and, um, you know, kind of shifting over to, to a little bit of what, you know, could be in kind of the same circumstance, if you will. All right. So let's say you have an individual that's being audited, um, you know, or, or maybe rather they just owe a decent amount of tax debt to the IRS. And here comes the IRS constantly knocking on the doorstep, calling, they want answers, they want information. Well, there's an option for somebody like this. It's being placed on the currently not collectible status list. So could we talked about what this status indicates, what it could mean for somebody in this position and how it could ultimately kind of help them? So, I mean, I, I can take that one. I guess. Yeah, I think you got that one. Um, <laughs> That's just Angie's little. She loves this. She lo she uses well, this all it's, it's, wisely. So she does use it a lot. There's though. always sure. you know, negatives and positives to, to every resolution we do. But um, this is a for people who are in a situation where they basically cannot afford to pay the ta the old tax bill. Um, so it and what does that mean? You know, um, it allows allows them to um, change their lifestyle in, in a way and maybe make some adjustments financially and give them time. It's a hold status, essentially. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bother you. Number one, IRS won't bother you. Um, and you don't have to make payments during this time. So if my income and allowable expenses, and that's sort of a term of art in our, in our business, the IRS doesn't allow you to have four homes and seven cars and They'll allow you certain expenses to offset the income and, and basically live, essentially, depending on the number of people in your household and where you live and that, that sort of thing. Uh, once we do that analysis, and there's some artistry there, that we're really good at that. Um, the IRS won't, they'll walk you through that form, but they'll just give you the bare bones numbers if you try to do it yourself. Um, but once we get to that final number, if, if, if there's no money left at the end of the month, basically, um, and you can prove a hardship and, and no, no ability to borrow and some other, other more complex things, then you, you can put your, your accounts will be put on hold, uh, currently non-collectible. It's exactly what, what it said, what it sounds like. Um, and the good thing is the expiration dates continue to run. Um, which means that, you know, if, if you sit there for 10 years, that debt may just go away. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and. The, the negative is that interest will still continue to accrue. So when you, if you do come out of that status eventually, then your bill may be more, well, essentially it is, more than, than it was when you started. But if you can't make the payments, then, you know, that, that, the facts are facts. You can't right, squeeze right, right. Turn you're, yeah. you're, you're incredibly <laughs> limited on options at that point in time. Um, but it sounds to me like that is, that's breathing room is what that might be. Um, and in, in some instances with, whether it's familial hardships or just circumstantial hardships that you might be under, you know, that breathing room might be exactly what you need in that, in that 
you know, way, shape or form. But, uh, the, you know, the, another, another bit of breathing room here would be the next, our next topic is innocent spouse relief. You know, I, I think most people understand that when you file jointly, you file your taxes, that is jointly with your spouse or even your ex spouse, you're going to receive some tax advantages that could ultimately save you some money. But one of the caveats to that is that you then owe, you know, you're both 100% responsible on the tax dollars that are owed on that file. So what I gather, though, from the innocent spouse relief and in in your work in that space is that there are there are instances where sometimes you can establish that you are not responsible for those taxes owed. Would you care to shed some light on this? You want to talk? Uh, I, I will tell you to start out with. This is absolutely the most misunderstood provision 100%. in the tax code. People yeah. do not understand. They think innocent spouse means well, my husband took care of all the taxes and he did everything, and I didn't know anything about it, so I'm innocent. Well, the first question is, you know, did you sign the tax return? And you know, if they did, then there's basically almost it's a, tough. a very tough after that point. And the second thing is. Uh, okay, were you aware that your husband was living this lavish lifestyle and were you benefiting from that lifestyle? Or should you have been or aware? Or should you, did you know? I mean, did you, should you have had caution or suspicion that maybe something was up that, uh, you know, so, so there, it's a very hard test to, to, to meet. Uh, it's, it's not easily, uh, granted and it's not easily won in that instance. We have, we have, but there's, there's a very uh, detailed test that you have to meet uh, to do that. And everyone, every spouse thinks they're innocent. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and maybe they are, but I, but I will tell you in the RSIs, uh, that's a very hard thing. And, and I have, we have people all the time, even, even CPAs will send people over here. Oh, go, just go do innocent spouse with right. Bryson or something. It, it's, it's not, um, it's not as easy as it, as it uh, sounds, uh, and they truly have to be innocent. Now, it does happen where there's fraud and, and somebody signed their names and did it a deal, and they can use the innocent spouse at that point. Uh, but it's not designed for the everyday run of the mill, filing a tax return, joint tax return together, both signing it. Because if they sign it, they're presumed to look at it. They can't just say, well, I signed it, but I didn't read it. The IRS is not going to grant any, you know, that's not going to happen. So. You want to add something? So, I mean, I a, a case study is sort of illustrative. You know, um, we had a client who did sign a tax return, and she she uh, was aware of um, sort of the lifestyle. However, her husband, her, our ex-husband now, I guess assume when she came to us, was a, abusive, and she um, that's why they got they split up because he was verbally and actually physically abusive. So. She had no um, no recourse or was too afraid to question the return or whether the taxes were being paid. And so we were able to get her relief in that situation. Um, and actually that had to go to appeals because the first try was denied. Um, and then with the appeals officer, um, the higher level of IRS person, we were able to you know file some affidavits and do some things. She didn't have any proof, uh, essentially no medical records or police history to show the abuse, but it was there pretty clearly. And she was able to get family members um, to create some affidavits and we worked with her. So that that's a really good example of someone who is truly innocent um, in that regard. Right. It sounds like, you know, this whole idea of innocent spouse relief is, is very circumstantial. It's, you know, it's really, it's really, you got to have 
you know, the backup in terms to make your case. You can't be negligent to some of the information that might have been going on or, yes, that lifestyle that you could have been living. But it, it's available. It's an option uh, for yep. somebody to look into if those circumstances somehow befall upon you. But um, next thing, and this is this is a really – this is a big topic for a lot of people, I feel like. Uh, you know, you've got a – let's say you got a substantial tax bill. Uh, you know, it's a lot, you know, you bit off more than you could chew and it's a lot, uh, you know, it's a hefty payment. Naturally, the IRS is looking at their watch wondering, Hey, when are we going to see this? Well, maybe you don't have the payment, you know, or the funds available to make that big payment in one lump sum to them. Well, our next topic, installment agreements. That's what somebody can do. They can look at, at uh, positioning installments for them to be able to pay off that massive tax bill over time, just like you would a credit card. Would you talk about you know, some of your conversations with clients in, in setting up some of these installment agreements? I mean, that's sort of the default in the IRS, the IRS world, essentially. If you call them up and say, uh, yourself, and say, I owe tax and I want to fig- I want to figure it out, they'll say, well, can you pay it? Number one, full pay. I want all my money, uh, which, of course, most of the time people are, it's a no. Otherwise, they wouldn't have called, essentially. Um, and so that's sort of the default back to the IRS um, world. The trick is getting a payment plan that you can afford. So um, trying to negotiate that number go, goes back to the income, less those expenses, those living expenses, and what's left over. And, and that's where we do a lot of our really technical and hard work with clients trying to maximize the expenses and uh, essentially minimize the income numbers. If you're self-employed, there's some flexibility there. And is it seasonal work? Is it is it going to is it going to fluctuate? Those are all things that that are important to our work that the IRS will not ask you or coach you through if you try to do it on your on your own. Um so, yeah. So, I mean, it, it basically in the IRS world, you know, to if we want to this topic, we could talk. I all could day. talk hours yeah. on an installment right. agreement all day because it's that there's a lot sure. here. Flex, you know, right. But everything starts with what Angie's just talked about. There's a form 433. And if you've ever had any IRS issues or if you've ever dealt with the IRS, the first thing they say is hey, give me your 433, uh, which is really nothing more than a financial statement uh, for everybody. Mm-hmm. So and, and, and the IRS is really. <clears throat> From that form, they're going to determine two things. Ability to pay, which Angie alluded to, and collection potential. And ability to pay is nothing more than your income minus your expenses. Okay, but your expenses are the allowed expenses. And the IRS, in their infinite wisdom, has determined what it takes for everybody in this country to live off of a certain standard of living. So it's, it's 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 published every year. Of course, it's hidden. You really have to know where to go find it. But if you could find it. And they have these standards. And for every parish or every county, I guess I'll say parish in Louisiana, but every county, they have determined how much it takes for somebody to live. Okay, so you have to know these standards. And and, and, uh, I've dealt with these standards every day. So I know they're very low. Most people live those. It would be hard to live off of those standards. Really, when it comes to the IRS world, the way that they have decided uh, to get uniform uh, resolutions across the country because you don't want an, a revenue officer in California uh, using their subjective measures to determine what the revenue officer in Philadelphia is going to determine right. because you're going to get way right. drastic things. They don't want that. So they've tried to levelize it by using these formulas. Well, that formula is the same, but you know, so everybody, so you have to know the formula. If you don't know the formula, which they don't tell anybody the formula, but if you don't know the formula going in, you're going to get a bad deal. 
And that's what happens. Everybody pretty much gets a bad deal. The IRS will tell you, oh, yeah, you can do this yourself. Just give me your 433. You don't need that and this. But they're not going to tell you that your statute of limitations is about to run. They're not going to tell you that you have an appeal here. They're not going to tell you any of this. They're going to they're going to run the numbers in their formula, basically in the computer, and what comes out is what you get. Right. And they're not sure, moving off, sure. of that. and that's just how it is, and that's the way it goes across the, the the country. So so that installment agreement, basically, the amount of your payment is going to be your ability to pay. So if you show five thousand dollar a month ability to pay, that's your payment five thousand a month. You can't you know if you show ten thousand whatever you show is ability to pay is what your number is going to be, and really the low level officers. Uh, don't have the ability to deviate off of that formula. Uh, you know, so, once that number's run, once the formula's run, that's your number. So you got to you got to do your work on the 433 before the, it ever goes to the IRS to get to know. And you got to know what the formula is to run the numbers to know what your numbers are going to come out to. So sure. basically, that yeah, that's the article. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm sensing a little bit of a consistent theme here where if you're sending the IRS any sort of documentation, whatever it is, make sure it's airtight and and you know exactly what the outcomes could be from the documentation you're sending them because you don't want to be caught three steps back when they've already, like you just said, determined a value that is arbitrary. I mean, not arbitrary, but it's, it's based on certain pr criteria, but that criteria might not apply to you. And you need, so if you're able to, if you're able to do your legwork on the front end, you're only going to set yourself up for a better position when that time comes to submit that 433. So guys, another topic that seems to, to come up here is IRS, just general account investigation. So really this is when, you know, the IRS comes knocking for basically any way, shape or form or anything that they deem necessary. I love some of the language, by the way, that you had on your website. I was reviewing a little earlier. Sometimes reading an IRS notification is like trying to figure out Ikea instructions. It's like <laughs> they, all the parts are there, but nothing seems to fit together. I love that, especially considering I just put something together from Ikea just yesterday. So that, that one really resonates with me, but, um, yeah. So, so talk to us a little bit about this, just that general IRS account investigation. You know, if you're getting a formal letter, you're a little worried about it. You know, I, I feel like the, the knee jerk reaction from anybody would be to stop and look towards Bryson law firm because you don't want to, as we've talked about already in today's episode, you don't want to just start walking down these roads without that help, without somebody to guide you. That's been there before. Yeah, I mean you're right. And account investigation, if from from our perspective, anyone that hires us um, or deals with us, uh, pretty much starts. We start every case with an account investigation. Um, you know, it's very typical for someone to come in and say, "I think I owe this," and they, you know, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars. You know, they just sort of guess. And I don't remember the last time that I filed the tax return. Um, or I think I filed this, but I'm not sure. So before you can die, before you can treat the problem, it's just sort of like going to the doctor, you know, you've got to, you've got to diagnose the extent of the problem and then you have to create the game plan comprehensively. Um, and I find, and I, Carrie can attest to this as well. I find that uh, People who have tried to solve their own tax problems or had um, another practitioner maybe help them just address the, the immediate problem in front of them. Maybe they have one notice for one tax period, so they'll address that year. Whereas, you know, there's also this other lingering um, issue, and you can't address IRS problems 
hit with a pinpoint. It's more of a shotgun approach. So you've got to look at the entire holistic problem, address it that way, and solve it all together as a bunch. Um, so the account investigation and what is what allows us to do that. It's 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 critical to our to our analysis yeah. and our case plan. Uh, yeah. If if I was adding anything, I would just add that in the IRS world, what people don't understand is that each year, right. if you're an individual taxpayer, each year is a different account. So every year you have an account. Okay, right. they open an account. So every each in, in, in each records get filed in those accounts. So the account investigation is for each year, you have to get the records for those accounts. And it's part of what I was alluding to before about they've already had the you know, the IRS has a record on everyone. Everyone <laughs> yeah, has an sure. IRS account record. Yeah. So you go in, you gotta see what's in their account record. And and for like a, a, a small business or a business, you know, with payroll, each quarter is an account. So you have to know, you know, so they, they, they have all these accounts and you have to you have to get the records in those accounts to know what the IRS is looking at, to know what they have, what they see. Uh, because as you said, I, I can't if you owe for four years, I can't just go settle two years and leave the other two years alone. You have to do right. it all at once or it's no deal. You have to include every tax period uh, that's owed or you have no deal. Yeah, there's no piecemeal solution. Yeah, uh, makes sense. I, it sounds like there's never a piecemeal solution when it comes to the IRS. And <laughs> um, well, hey, uh, switching gears just a little bit. I mean, obviously, still another IRS, um, you know, topic of conversation. But it's uh, a lien assistance, tax liens specifically. Hey, there's serious legal issues, and you definitely need a tax attorney to who knows how to deal with the IRS to walk you through this because if leads don't go away easily. And there's something, you know, that's another one of those roads you don't want to walk down by yourself. So could you shed a little bit uh, of, uh, of light on terms of how mean you guys are with liens and yes, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, liens could be as simple, you know, a lot of times they're as simple as I've paid everything and they won't take the lien off, which happens unfortunately way too much, but it does happen. Or it could be as complicated as, I mean, I think the most complicated one I've had, I, I should probably say, is when a small business is using a factoring company. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the factoring company, after a certain period of time, the lien, uh, the IRS lien primes the factoring company's lien. So then they, it's a big lien fight as to who's first, who's second, and who's what. And then the factoring company doesn't want to loan the, the money anymore. So the small business is struggling on cash flow because they can't get the lien assistance. Well, the IRS wants the money. So it becomes a big quagmire. I mean, those get very complicated. When you start uh, you know, determining lien priority, uh, it and and especially on liens that can move, because it, you know, it's simple when you know you go by filing date, you go look at the records and you see who filed first and da da da. But when liens start uh, leapfrogging, as we would call it, they start leapfrogging other liens, which some IRS liens or super liens can can do that. Uh, it gets it gets complicated, and then of course you know once again the IRS works from a position of leverage. They either gonna they gonna always put a lien down, which gives them leverage, or and then the other leverage is the levies that we talked about. So it's always going to be positions of leverage for them, and that's where they like to operate from, and that's their two big uh, hammers, so to say, are the liens and the levies. So the levies are you know uh, are, uh, levy assistance. I mean, I, you know, I have one now that I'm working on. It's, it's, it's quite simple. A guy wants to sell his house and, and, you know, pay the IRS. Well, that sounds simple, but to get a letter from the IRS saying, yes, if I receive X dollars, I will remove this lien could be a task. I mean, it, you know, unfortunately this person ended up having to get a lawyer to get the proper documentation to mm -hmm. request the proper letter 
because if you don't get the proper letter, the title lawyer is not gonna gonna go with everything, and he's not gonna because they see the, you know, all they see is IRS lien. Well, I'm not dealing with IRS lien, you know, so so it becomes a problem, you know, um, and unfortunately, some of it is due just because the IRS is so difficult to deal with that it's very hard to do, even when you want to pay the pay the debt to get the lien off. So. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, definitely a complex scenario that you you don't want to you don't want to run before you can walk in any of these situations. And it sounds like Aline is is one of those places as well. Uh, next topic I know is a bigger one for you guys. And you know, before we jumped on here today, I know you wanted to spend some time discussing it, and that's offers in compromise or OICs. You know, and this is one of those instances where uh, if an individual can't pay their IRS tax bill, uh, but they want to still pay it off. Uh, you know, the OIC in this process, it's typically the IRS reviewing the finances and they're deciding there's no possible way you could pay this off. Could you shed some light on this, your work in this space, uh, and, and just how often you're seeing these offers and compromise come to light? Um, uh, I guess I'll start and I'll let it. Angie's, uh, I'll, I'll defer to her on, on more of the, 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 she's probably done a few more than I have. Uh, but I will say the unfortunate part of this offer, offer and compromise, uh, which which really gets me disturbed, I should say, is these national marketing companies that advertise and promote these offers. You know, and I've settled for pennies on the dollar, and, and they act like it's just something routinely granted. You know, they'll cite some act by the IRS. The IRS under this this act, we could you know, the IRS a special program. It's, there's no special programs. These these programs were were introduced in the 90s that they're years referring ago. back yeah. to years ago. You know, there's no special program. There's no special magic wand that anybody has other than it's a mathematical formula that you better know before you file your offer if you really want it to be granted uh, because it's going to be determined on your ability to pay and your collection potential, and that's it. And in the length of time, the statute of limitations is left. is also plugged into the formula. Mm -hmm. But that's it. What, what, you know, so, so your work is done on the front end, uh, and this is where we've seen Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of mistakes uh, by other companies and other people where people come in and they filed an offer and it was a bad offer that had no shot of being granted. And it's not good uh, because offers take a long time to be granted for the most part. It, 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 I mean, I think the average now is 18, 19 months to oh, get wow. a decision on an offer and compromise. Yeah. Well, when you file an offer, your interest and penalties you know, are still going to accrue until that offer is accepted. Well, if you file a junk offer and it suspends the statute of limitations. So it's not like your statute of limitations is still running. Uh, and I've seen people that the statute was getting ready to run on, on certain tax periods in 30 days and they'll file an offer and compromise right. some of these national companies or whatever that, that don't have any clue what they're doing. And that'll, it'll suspend the statute. And now they just given the IRS a whole new time frame to collect these tax periods. Um, it's it's a very uh, overused and misunderstood option, uh, but but it is a very viable option. The IRS does grant these. Uh, Angie, I know in several of her cases recently has gotten a bunch of them granted. Uh, you know, and they kind of seem to go in spurts. The IRS grants a lot, then they kind of slow down, then they grant a lot and kind of slow down. I, I don't know what the purpose is there, but um, but you know, uh, it 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 does require a lot of work on the front end on your ability to pay and your collection potential, because it's a mathematical formula when it comes, mm -hmm. it's not subjective, it's a mathematical formula. The where, where the work is done is the, like Angie calls it, the artistry in the 433 and how you present. And then, you know, and you kind of guide them to 
to get the right number for the ability to pay and the collection potential so you can get the offer done. Well, yeah, wanna... yeah. And I mean, I, that, that's 100% correct. Um, I would add, they typically, we pretty much always have to appeal the original determination, which is generally a denial. It's, a, it's sort of a rubber stamp. Um, and, and then the, the other trick, uh, not trick, but the other requirement, um, when you file an offer, you have to, you have to stay in compliance. So that means you have to file, um, your forthcoming returns on time or, you know, within the, if you, you can extend them and things like that, but you've got to stay in compliance and you can't create any new issues. So if you're self-employed, you have to make your current tax payments. That's pretty much the situation in all of in every resolution, because you don't want to be creating new problems while you're solving the old ones. They won't let you do that. Right. Right, Um, right. so that's part of what we do for our clients. Like we're going to start, we're going to stop here and we're going to rip the bandaid off and we're going to, we're going to start healing now. And we're going to deal with the old stuff with our plan, but we're not going to let you uh, create new issues. Um, the other thing with an offer is, um, you just have to be persistent. You've got to be creative in, in, in the solutions that you propose and, and be okay with, um, with knowing that you, there's some middle ground. Uh, so over promising a client saying you're going to settle for $20, um, is what I've seen typically from other practitioners where, whereas maybe we just say, you know, uh, on a $50,000 tax bill, you know, your ability to pay is this, I think we can get it down to this. How about 10,000? There, there is some wiggle room. However, we don't go into it like a mediation and say, throw money on the table with the IRS and say, um, we're going to let, let's read some, let's reach some middle ground, like a litigation case. It doesn't work that way. The formula is the formula. Um, so over promising never helps anybody. It's not, it's not a negotiation. It's not a negotiation yeah, in that respect. It's yeah, more of a, ma- a, you know, the negotiation is include this expense because this is why. Correct. You know, include this. This is not really income because da 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 da. That's the creativity. That's the negotiation. It's not. Oh, I got ten thousand dollars. I can give you on this fifty thousand dollars. It's it's that doesn't happen. It's not how it happens. And that's what people expect of us. Sometimes we have to really educate our clients on on how this is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I believe it. Yeah, and and Carrie alluded to it. Some of the national marketing agencies and the advertising that is put into it can probably mislead you know, the, the general individual's, you know, understanding of what an OIC is and they come in and they're asking you for, uh, to move the sun and the earth for them. And, you know, you got to bring them back to so, you know, solid ground. Right. Exactly. If you hear any ad, if anyone hears any ad or anyone that tells them without looking at their numbers that I can settle your tax debt for X Run. dollars of this, Run away. <laughs> that's impossible. Yeah. There's no one that can do that unless they know your numbers and they know the formula and they've run the formula themselves because the number, whatever number comes out is your offered number. And that's going to be your number. Sure. Uh, so if anybody's telling you pre pre work that they can settle for X dollars or whatever, run, run away. Roger that. If there's one takeaway from today, <laughs> yeah, run. Um, well, all right. So uh, switching gears a little bit more, this one, this next one's a little bit more towards business owners specifically, and that's payroll tax representation. I know uh, you, 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 I'm sure you guys see this uh, every now and then with business owners failing to pay their employees payroll taxes, uh, which is a very serious offense. IRS is not going to take that lightly. They're going to come after you for something like that. So walk me through what that process looks like for somebody that comes into your office. Hey, I've got this against me. The IRS is coming after me. What is What does that situation look like for you guys? 
There's so much there. Oh, there's a lot there. I know. Yeah, right. It's loaded. So much. Uh, You know, I enjoy this part. Um, Probably this is my most favorite part of tax resolution work is the small piece, I guess, because the consultant in me, uh, you know, gets to come out. Right. Uh, It's kind of what Angie, Angie alluded to, you know, and, and I've had this conversation probably, you know, a thousand times now. Look, this, th- we have to stop today and going forward, you've got to get your company in a, such a posture that you can sustain your, your business and your work, or it's time to shut it down because there's, there's, there's things that we can do from a resolution standpoint where shutting down is, is sometimes the best option. And that's a hard conversation mm-hmm. to have with people. You, it's time for you to shut it down. I mean, I've had you know, people that have generational companies, second, third generation, and I'm, it's time to shut it down. The model's wrong. You got to shut it down. Now we can regroup, start over, get a deal and deal with some of these taxes and some of these issues, but you could save some money by doing it this way. But you got to, you know, once again, you better know what you're doing and know how to do it, or it's just all going to come to the new company. Um, so anyway, so I enjoy this part because the consultant, like I said, the consultant comes out, I mean, I get to guide them through um, the, 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 from a legal standpoint though, uh, I will tell you also is that it's, uh, in payroll cases, it's, it's, it's fast moving because the, the accounts are coming quarterly. Most pe- small businesses nowadays are required to make tax deposits weekly, if not bi-weekly, if not monthly, whatever. So it's happening quickly. It moves fast. Okay. And, and the other thing that, that, some people don't realize, or even, even some business owners don't realize is that payroll taxes are what we call trust taxes, because, you know, that's actually money that we withhold from our employees' paychecks, a portion of it. It's the employee's money. And then you have to match some, you know, the company's money and you form that forms the payroll tax. So a portion of the payroll tax is trust. It's you're holding the employee's money in trust, give to the IRS. Well, at the end of the year, you know, we file our W-2s. The IRS honors that W-2. If they didn't get the money, they still honor the W-2. They don't make the employees, they don't write them in there and say, oh, no, we really didn't get your money. They honor that. So the employees are not held with that. It's the companies. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, the from the IRS perspective, this is a problem that they usually are not going to let get out of hand. They're not going to let it go too far. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like I said, there's fast moving. The, the example would be, uh, to get a revenue officer involved in a, in a tax case, in an individual tax case, usually it's you're looking at a tax liability of $250,000 to get a revenue officer, maybe even higher than that, depending on the workload and things like that. In a payroll case, it could be $15,000. It could be $20,000. You're going to get a revenue officer pretty quick. But for the most part, uh, you know, I can tell Angie, if it ever happened to us, I guarantee you it'd be 10000 You know, it would, it would be quick. For most people, it's going to happen pretty fast. So it's fast moving and it's, it's, uh, you know, so there's a lot there and I guess that's probably why I enjoy it because there's a lot going on and there's a lot you can do to help people. And you really can save a company. I mean, you save a mm-hmm. business, which is employing people mm-hmm. and that, you know, there's nothing more fulfilling to me than, you know, saving a business, saving all this thing, or just helping somebody out, you know? And so it, 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 for me, it's, it's, uh, I really enjoyed that part, but there's a lot there, a lot of, a lot of good can be done. Uh, and a lot of legal strategy uh, can be impl- uh, you know, implemented to really do some good uh, for, for a client in that situation. Yeah. 
I mean, the the big the big takeaways on 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 for me uh, is the potential for personal responsibility for the people who chose the responsible people uh, parties, and those are in in the IRS world. Those are the those are the folks that chose not to pay, made the de- the decision makers, who within the company decided that it was okay not to remit these payroll taxes to the IRS. Um, and so, you know, you've got the business with the tax problem, right? But if there's four, four responsible individuals, like in our company, it would probably be Carrie and me, um, maybe a couple of other folks. Um, all of those petite people are potentially at risk individually for the trust fund portion of that tax. So there's a lot of moving parts in protecting people and the business. Um, and then the other one is the penalties are uh, astronomical on a payroll tax case. So uh, imagine, you know, 50, 60% of your tax bill added, you know, in penalties and interest. And, and there are a lot, there's some wiggle room there. We, we get a lot of penalties abated for, for payroll tax clients, especially if there's a good reason, COVID, you know, an embezzlement, uh, a flood, a fire, a hurricane, those things all all affect our, our resolution for those people. Right. Well, you're bringing up a great point in terms of those penalty abatements. Cause that's really where I was going to take the conversation <laughs> next. You know, it's, yeah. it's life gets in the way sometimes, you know, and, and there are interesting scenarios that can present their way, uh, you know, where, uh, it ultimately leads to you owing the IRS a significant amount in fines, but, those penalty abatements can be, you know, uh, they can be put into effort or, or into work. That is. Uh, so, w- could you talk a little bit about maybe some of those instances where you work with the penalty abatements and you do try and uh, get some of those things mitigated? I mean, you know, whatever you can think of is a reason uh, potentially to, to have a penalty abate abated. Uh, well, divorce, illness, hurricane, flood, fire, uh, theft, uh, just anything li- life. I call it you know, life, no, no one, there's usually a reason or a trigger event that, that created the original tax problem. Uh, if you just did dive deep enough, uh, it may be seven or eight years old. Um, but there's a reason why it started most almost in, in pretty much every single case. Um, yeah. you know, I, I was going to add, the, the, I mean, the most, what Angie's, I think she's alluding to the most common penalty abatement. There's several different kinds of the most yeah. common is reasonable cause. That's the term of art and reasonable cause is not necessarily defined. It's a reasonable, you know, reasonable person standard. Uh, so it's anything reasonable, any, any, any valid, reasonable person for, for somebody to, to either be late or to have not remitted, uh, you know, payment is, you know, is it can be used yeah. in a penalty abatement. Now they take a long time to grant, of mm-hmm. course, uh, they're not, it's not going to happen quick for the right. most part. Uh, so some of them are fast if you have, you know, certain people involved, but for the most part, it takes, it's a, it's a process that you have to go through and you have to prove. And you have to know, you know, how to, you know, like a lot of people, oh, I had, I had, you know, back surgery and I couldn't work for three months. They'll just write that on a piece of paper and send it in or something. Well, the IRS isn't going to grant that. You know, it, when you say, yeah, I've had back surgery, you need to put all your medical records, you know, outline, you know, and, and make a, a, a supporting proof for you. They, and then they'll grant those. So it, it, there is a little work to be done. It's not, you just can't, you know, on the phone. Oh yeah, I, I was laid off for, for, you know, three months and I couldn't work due to COVID. Well, I mean, that's, you know, they're not going to take your word for it, but if you can prove you were, you know, whatever your cause is, your reasonable cause, then, then certainly you can get it granted. Um, the only other thing I'd add about that, I don't know how much time we have, uh, but kind of goes back to the, the, the penalty abatement. Uh, 
issue is, you know, in the IRS, you know, this is, there are some sneaky things that kind of happen in the IRS world. And that's one of them is how they, their application of penalties in a payroll case, uh, because there's time frames, you know, and the, 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 within the first certain period of time, it's 15%, then it goes to 10 and it drops to five. So as it, as the case goes on, the penalties kind of come down and then they cap out at a certain amount uh, of the liability. But, you know, we've seen in a lot of cases where people are making the payment, you know, uh, and, and the IRS will take this payment and instead of applying it to the immediate tax, like we're talking about, you have to get immediately current, they'll take it and put it on this old one where the penalty's uh, only 5% and it costs this 15% penalty on this payment right here because it raises up the taxes. So you got to, you know, and that's goes back to that account transcript. You got to get that, you got to see how they apply things, make sure everything's done done right, done correctly, and then you can go on. So, you know, there are penalty payments like that where you know you've misapplied a payment, you've done this wrong, and, I mean, they know. I mean, you, those are usually granted once you point it out to them, but you got to know to point it out to them. Right, right. Yep. And it's sounding like, once again, it's also a little bit of, hey, keep your documents in order. If you make sure you're able to uh, prove that you were laid off work, you know, because of COVID, or, or you had that back surgery that kept you from from being able to, you know, provide for your family kind of thing. It goes back to that documentation. So, um, switching gears to a different, different topic. We've got about three more of these topics to cover. Uh, the, this is an interesting one, uh, revenue officer assistance. So obviously, you know, if you, uh, if you owe a handful of money in back taxes, typically the IRS is going to be assigning a revenue officer to your specific case. That officer is going to be the one that's picking up the phone to call you. They're going to be the one that, uh, is, is your least favorite person of the week to talk to. Let's put it that way. Uh, so you guys work in this space a little bit in some instances where maybe the officer is, is borderline harassing the individual or, or, uh, just making this individual's life not so pleasant. Would you like to talk about some of the work that you've done in this space and how maybe you guys, uh, work with somebody in a case like this? I mean, that's daily. So, I mean, we have so many stories. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's, where do we start I, I, I on do that one I want to add well. before I forget, though, because we said something, and I want to make sure we're clear because of all the scams going on right now, okay, because there's a lot of lot of scams about people calling uh, impersonating revenue officers mm. and collect making people pay their taxes over the phone. That never happens. Doesn't so happen. If, if someone calls you and says they're with the Internal Revenue Service, and that's the first you've ever heard, or you don't even know you had a debt or anything, that's not going to happen. That's not how they operate. Okay. The first contact is either going to be one or two ways. It's either going to be by mail letter letter, or they're going to knock on your door. Okay. And it's always mail. They very rarely knock on your door. They do knock on your door, but it's usually after they've sent you several letters. The IRS is never going to call you first. I just want to clarify that, that would make sure that, cause I don't want anybody getting scammed because there's a lot of scams out there. I mean, it's funny. They try to scam, you know, I got a call the other day. Somebody tried to scam yeah, me. Well, of course me. I have fun with it, but you know, but anyway, um, <laughs> cause I know it's a scam, but, but anyway, uh, I, I don't want people to get scammed cause it, it's unfortunate. We've had several clients and man, it's always the elderly that don't, that just yeah. get scared on the phone. And it's yeah. amazing how they will pull out their credit card and just start giving them the numbers and making the payments. Cause it's the IRS and it's, you know, and it just, it really hurts when, uh, when I see that happen. So, um, why don't you talk about them? I mean, if you have a revenue officer assigned to your case, you have a serious tax problem. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I can't be more frank than that. Um, it's not going to go away. That person is not going to disappear. However, they have certain, um, 
time frames to meet, just like anybody else in any other job. So, you know, they'll, they'll provide you with the initial uh, paperwork or letters or requests, and you may not hear from them for another month. Um, then you may get another call or another letter. Then you may not hear from them for another month. They'll give you hard deadlines. If you don't meet the deadlines, um, they, they'll, they'll come collect and they'll, the, the levies will start coming down on your bank accounts. Um, they'll come on your way, you know, they'll put a levy down on your wages or your, your customers. If you're a business, uh, you know, they'll find out who those people are. So I guess the takeaway for that one would be pay attention, get some help. Um, and a revenue officer has a job. The job is not to be nice, although they may be nice. The job is to collect the tax. So, um, they're not your friend and they're certainly not the, your advocate, although, and, and they're not going to give you pretty much every option you may have to get, to get a solution, get some help. It would be my takeaway on that one. Big, sure. big. So, and, and I would, I would like to add uh, a little yeah. bit to that about revenue officers, uh, what people may not realize, um, one, the, probably the most important thing is they are federal officers. Mm. Uh, so if you misrepresent something to the federal officer, that that's a crime. Uh, and, and it is prosecuted. So, uh, with that being said, I would not, I would not, uh, misrepresent anything to the federal officer, but also since it is a federal officer, you don't have to speak to them. Right. Uh, you can also, when they show up and they knock on your door, you could tell them, I do not want to speak to you. I want to get a lawyer and that's it. The conversation's over regardless. They don't have a right to come walk in your business. They don't have a right to come, you know, I've, I've had stories where revenue yeah. officers go in and they go to the cash register and open the cash register and put all the money out. You know, they will do that if you let them, but you don't have to let them. They'll probably ask you and, and they, especially if they know you're scared or you're intimidated, uh, you know, they'll, they'll push it. They're designed, they're trained. They're, they're highly trained. Uh, they're skilled at what they do. They, they undergo personality training, uh, more probably than than any uh, than anyone that you would know. So they know how to read people, uh, and they know and they're trained. They're trained to collect the money. Uh, you know that's their job. That's their, their they have a job to do, and they will do it. Most of them aren't going to break the law. Uh, you know, some will, of course. So they have bad, there's bad apples in every batch, but most of them aren't, aren't going to do that. But they will push it. Uh, and if you give them permission to go in your cash register, they're certainly going to go, and they're going to pull the money out and take it and. Yeah, they'll credit your account with it, but still, that's not, you know, your method. Uh, and what Angie said, they're not, you know, they're not your, some of them are nice. If they detect your personality, uh, as, uh, you know, is one that where aggression is not going to get anywhere, they'll be certainly be nice to you. They'll be your friend, but they're not your friend. You know, they're there to collect the tax and they're not necessarily going to do what's in your best interest. They're going to do what's in the government's best interest. Sure. Makes sense. Um, you know, in some of these cases, guys, it's it seems like, uh, you know, you want to make sure you've got the professionals alongside you to be able to help you navigate some of these things. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. Anytime you deal with a federal officer on any level, you know, hey, maybe it's not best to open your mouth and start speaking, even if you know your books and know your numbers. Sometimes uh, one false word, one false statement could could uh, set you back a few paces. Let's put it that way. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to skip our next topic and we're going to come back to it because I think it's a great spot for us to end on. Uh, but let's jump into the next one and that is wage levies or garnishment. So in instances like this, it's one of the more harsh tools that the IRS can seem to utilize. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, taking money out of your paycheck on a regular basis to help pay back some of the debt that you owe to the IRS. So, 
Uh, could you speak a little bit about your work in this space? Maybe an example of, of working with a client that uh, you've helped to work through this kind of issue and, and, um, and what you've seen on this front. Yeah, I mean, um, wage levies are different, uh, can differ for uh, different types of um, employee, uh, depending on your work. So if, if you're a W-2 employee, it's much easier or typically W-2 employees are strictly uh, W-2 employees don't have tax problems because their taxes are withheld. Um, but if you have, if you're a W-2 and you may have some contract work on the side and you're, you're creating tax issues or, or whatnot, um, those, those taxpayers are easier to levy. Um, and those levies are continuing. So, uh, because the IRS knows where you work, all of the time you're getting withholdings from that person. You have a W-2 every year uh, from that employer. Uh, that wage levy can go down faster, easier, and it, it's continuing. It will happen until it's released. So every time you get paid, that money's going to going to come out. Um, and then, but self-employed people are a little a little. Um, I want to say there's more flexibility in that regard because if you're self-employed and and you get a levy from your the people that you work for uh, against your, your, your income from the people that you work with, that's a one-time levy. So whatever's owed to you on that date is what is required to be paid. And for the IRS to continue, it's not a continuing levy. There's a lot of misunderstanding on that type of, of levy. Um, and those are pretty typical um, problems that we can relieve people from because the, the person that is paying the, the, the taxpayer who with the payor, uh, doesn't understand that this is a one-time deal and it, it you don't have to keep honoring it. Um, and that, that, you know, the way to get out of a levy is to create a resolution. Yeah. I, I was going to essentially, yeah. you know, That's what I was stop it. Yeah. Usually the wage, once the wage levy happens, it is harsh. Uh, but I will tell you, uh, the wage levy formula is usually, more than yeah. the ability to pay. Yeah. So you're going to get more out of your paycheck. You don't want to resolve your case by wage levy. No. You would rather, at that point, once they got you to that point, you would probably rather uh, go ahead and get into a formal installment agreement based on your ability to pay, which is probably going to be a smaller payment uh, than you think. And, 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 and I will tell you um, another thing um, on this wage levy thing is they also will levy your Social Security. Yeah. Uh, we have that happen a lot, and that's an easy because it's just a flip in the computer switch. Uh, and we also, uh, you know, and, and I mean, for examples of this, of what I'm talking about, I had a, a military veteran that was uh, actually disabled, and 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 I did the case, uh, you know, I, was, I did it pro bono because it was so, it was so irritating to me that they were uh, harassing and basically just and this guy was telling them, you know, man, I served in the military, I lost my leg, you know. And, and there was no relief was given. They were just very harsh and very tone. And so I said, no, we're going to, and he had, of course he had no, he had no ability to, to retain a lawyer uh, at that point. And I said, you know what? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. So uh, I came back and talked to Angie. She's like, yeah, we're going to do this. So we, this, this has been a, been a while now, but anyway, we did the case. And, and by the time you it ended up, he was in CNC. He didn't have, he didn't have an ability to pay at all. Uh, he ended up in CNC and then his case, uh, of course, the statute ran. So the IRS, uh, you know, where he ended up not having to pay really anything for the for the tax liability, which is probably the way it should have been, considering his service. 
you know, to our country. But anyway, that, that's probably another story for another day. <laughs> well, sure. No, I, you know, I think we've got a good spot here to kind of tie a bow, uh, you know, on our conversation today with our final topic. Uh, and because I think this final topic really encompasses a lot of the services that you guys, you guys do, uh, as well as the fact that this could be kind of the boiling point for a lot of these circumstances and that's tax court representation. So, if you know, if you guys run into an instance where you're not agreeing with the IRS's ruling on a given tax bill, you know it might be time to take your case to tax court. Uh, so this is, you know, this is the ball game. This is the big stuff. Uh, when you guys step to the plate here uh, for clients and, and you're going through tax court and repping a client, walk walk us through what that process looks like. Because I know anybody listening or watching this right now is thinking, oh, it's you know, it's law and order. Here we are. We're in the courtroom. Is it like that? Uh, you know, is it that exciting? Is it is it uh, is it a is it a courtroom drama, if you will? <laughs> uh, it, it, it could be. It's not a jury, so it is a court. You know, there is a tax court, and the judges are appointed, uh, and they serve on a rotating basis, and it travels around the country. Uh, so it's not a jury. So I mean, I don't. You know, it, it, yeah, exciting. It's flashy, uh, I, would say. I don't. <laughs> it's it's uh, you know, once you get to to tax court, okay, the case has been set up. Uh, you know, all like as we mentioned before, you know, that's it, a lot of things have to be done correctly to get the kind of get the case in a posture for tax court. There are certain issues that you kind of know are going to go to that that are right for tax court or that could be, you know, where the IRS is just basically deciding something wrong. And it, the only way you're going to get relief is in tax court. So you set it up to go to tax court. Right. Um, you know, but when, once you get there, yeah, I mean, it's federal court. It's 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 a federal court. It's federal, uh, you know, uh, policy procedural uh, that you uh, federal procedure you have to follow. Uh, there's scheduling orders that are issued as soon as the case is filed, and you better follow that scheduling order, or the case will be dismissed. You know, and the other side is going to have a U.S. attorney. Uh, uh, rep, you know, the IRS is then going to retain the U.S. attorney to represent it, and the tax yeah, that's going to be a very skilled attorney, uh, very knowledgeable in tax law. Uh, so it's 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 yeah, you know, it's not like dealing with the IRS anymore. It's now dealing with with a uh, lawyer on the other side and tax court. So yeah, those issues for us, you know, for lawyers, that's what we live for, you know, to 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 for that day and to be able to go to those issues. Um, but it's not law and order. It's not glamorous. It's not. You know, there's no show. You're not going to put on a show for a federal judge. I mean, they've of seen not. they've seen all the shows that they want to see. You know, you better get in there and get your case approved. You better get on point. You better be ready and be prepared and present your evidence and and you know and let the court make its ruling. Uh, so so yeah, that, that we we do do that. That doesn't happen. Uh, I, I, you know, a lot uh, because a lot of cases uh, are not really right for a federal court, or you get the relief before you ever get there. Uh, and frankly, a lot of times, even when you get there, uh, because now it's lawyers, mm -hmm. uh, it's lawyers on, you know, of course, our side is a lawyer, that side's a lawyer, and lawyers know, you know, what issues that need to be tried and what issues don't need to be tried, and you're able to kind of get the case, and usually you can get some kind of settlement, some kind of resolution, uh, you know, uh, so, the, so a lot of cases, I would say, in tax court probably do settle. Uh, just like any other any other court, I mean, it's it's uh, you know the the, the facts are um, very uh, you know granular because it's numbers and it's dealing. You have an expert, a CPA usually, and they have an expert, and so it's a very you know that kind of okay. So I don't I, don't, I think most people probably say it's very boring actually, but to <laughs> us that. it's not. We, like, I, I, but most people would think it's probably pretty boring. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, hey guys, look, I really appreciate you sitting down with me today to kind of give an overview on the various options for tax resolution that you guys at Bryson Law Firm offer. Uh, Clearly, I mean, we covered 14 different topics today, different options, different things to consider if you're an individual that's facing uh, some sort of, of uh, tax issue. Um, so appreciate you guys walking me through some of these things today. You know, uh, any final thoughts, any final words in regards to tax resolution here on tax day? Don't give up. There's always a solution. I, I think that's the biggest thing for me. There's always a solution. Uh, no, uh, but but it's time to do it. Uh, waiting is not going to help. And yes. this is like fake ta- fake tax day, actually. That that all of the every deadline got extended that I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been that kind of year for, uh, oh, yeah. for extensions of deadlines. Yeah, yeah never it's, ending it's, tax season. It's, it's like I tell everyone that I meet. You know, I have yet to have a case that I couldn't solve or couldn't figure out or get some type of resolution. Right. I mean, I know I can resolve every case. Now, I can't sometimes, you know, make it easy for my clients because, frankly, they don't qualify for the easy way or the hard way. But I know I can get them in resolution. So, uh, you know, there's not many cases you can't resolve. Oh, well, there's not a case you can't resolve. I guess the question, you know, it, it is, you know, what's 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 I can get the best resolution that's attainable pretty much. You know, and I think that's kind of how we feel. I yeah. can get you the best that's resolution that's possible. But still, it's a resolution, and it, it's probably going to require you to pay something somewhere, and maybe sometime – I can't promise you it's going to be painless is usually what I tell them. Right. I can get you a resolution. I can get you the best deal that you probably can get anywhere, but I, I'm not going to promise you it's going to be painless because sometimes it is. Sometimes it's very painful. Sometimes it's not. Some clients do get great deals. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time today. And we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us again here on the second installment of Talkin' Tax. Again, if you want to check out any other uh, episodes or other conversations Carrie, Angie, and I have had, feel free to check out our episodes on any of the following platforms that we are on. Uh, But for Carrie and Angie, I'm Ryan Ruff saying so long, and we thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Talkin' Tax.